Man, good morning. Um, so excited to be here with you guys this morning and so excited to open uh, Matthew chapter 2. We started a series last week called God With Us and uh, I love that. I love that phrase. I love uh, this ability just to talk about the, these Christmas stories, these Christmas messages because, man, the cross is an amazing thing, but Jesus didn't just show up like at 33 years old and, and down a cross. He left heaven. His story starts before, right? story starts before Bethlehem. He, he was there in creation. We actually see in Colossians and, and Romans and some of those other places that Jesus is the active voice of creation. This is all things were made through him, by him, and for him. And we, we see that Jesus was there, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was God. And we see in, in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God. And then the, the Word was made flesh. And that Word of God is, is Jesus today. And, and I love that. And I love the season where we get to come and we get to talk about that fact that Jesus chose to, to leave heaven. To, to step out of the glories of heaven. To wrap himself in flesh. To lay down, right, that robe of in, in approachable light. And to wrap himself in flesh like us. And to step into the story. To invite us into a story that's greater than our own. And then that's the season as God came to be with us, and God is still with us today, um, and I love it. And this morning, we're going to continue to talk about that in Matthew chapter 2. Last week, we started in Matthew 1, and we read about how the angel came to Joseph, and he said, hey, by the way, uh, this woman you're supposed to marry, well, well she's pregnant, and it's not yours. Um, but you don't have to worry because it's of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he revealed to Joseph this very amazing thing. He said, this baby is, is the promise of God and he's come to save his people. But then he lays out this, uh, this amazing sentence that nobody else in the story at this point in time gets to pick up on. He says, to save them from their sin. Not to save them from their boss or to save them from some emperor or some king or something. Not to save them from their bank account, but to save them from this, this greatest problem. And the greatest problem is sin because sin separates us from God. We see in the beginning it was, it was God and then God made us and we were with God and we were in God's space. And we got to dwell with God and to be with God. That God was there and he walked with Adam and Eve every day in the garden. And then they chose some piece of fruit, right? Some little insignificant thing over, over God. And in that moment, they devalued God and they were separated from God. God still spoke some, but it wasn't like it was. And man, in reality, at that point, right, God should have just wiped us out, right? We got two people in and we <laughs> jacked it up. God should have just wiped us out. But in that moment, he, he spoke and he, and he provided this promise just there in Genesis 3. And he said, hey, I'm going I'm to send somebody one day a seed. And that seed is going to crush the serpent's head. This thing that led you away from me, I'm, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> I'm going to lead you back to me. And then for all this time, we've been having this unveiling of this promise. All the Old Testament is just this story about how the Messiah is coming. He's coming. He's coming. God's sending this promise to him. There's somebody coming to save you from your sin. And, and, and they didn't know what they were looking for. And they didn't know how it was going to happen. And then finally, right, like after, after hundreds of years, maybe significantly more than that, actually, uh, here it is. It's there in Matthew 1. Hey, uh, the day is here. 
Uh, all the thing that all history has been pushing towards this moment that, that you've been looking forward to for, for, for like the history of the world. It's here today. Jesus is coming. The Messiah, the Savior is coming. And he's coming to save you from your sin. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us for the first time in thousands of years. God is coming back in. And he's allowing people back into his space. And he's doing it in such a weird way. Not some lightning bolt from heaven or some birth in a palace or a temple, but, but a, a baby to a, a woman who wasn't planning on a pregnancy. And eventually in a manger in a cave would be born the savior of the world. Right, and then fast forward, because we skipped that part that's in Luke, we'll get there, to Matthew chapter 2. And you see in Matthew 2, um, you guys know the story, right? the wise men um, sing songs about him before. This is where we enter. <coughs> and it says in 2, after Jesus was born. Now, what we see here is that these wise men, these people come after Jesus was born. We don't, we don't get like what the timeline is there. I know like in every play we've ever had, including the one we had last night and they were turtles last night. They weren't wise men or Kings or anything, but it was awesome. If you weren't here, it was an amazing play. Um, but, but these, these wise men, they, they came and we know that like that's in the story and we got them in our little manger, but, but we don't know the timeline of when they came. And I would argue with you, it's like significantly after the birth of Jesus up to two years actually. And, and that's in this chapter and we'll kind of touch on it in a second. But, but if it was like 30 seconds after two years after it's after the birth of Jesus, they weren't there to see him born after Jesus was born. It says in Bethlehem of Judea. Now Bethlehem is this really small town uh, and it's in the area of Judea, which is the southernmost region of Israel. Israel is like Tennessee, if you flip it this way. Uh, it's got Galilee, which is in the north, and then it's got Samaria, which is in the middle, and it's got Judea, which is down here. So like if we could compare it to our state, we got east, middle, west, and then, right, like north, middle, south, um, Galilee, Samaria, and and uh, Judea. And Jesus was born down here in this lower area of Judea, just maybe 10 or 11 miles from Jerusalem in this small little city, um, Bethlehem, a city with like a probably insignificant really population of people. Like there was really nobody there with some shepherds and some fields and then like a town in the middle of that. And that's why there was no room in the inn. Like there weren't 37,000 hotels, right? In Bethlehem, there was like one little place with maybe a room or two. And, and anyway, We'll talk about that later, but but Bethlehem and, and Judea are in the story, and I, and I love that because here's the deal: we get in our heads sometimes because we heard this so many times that this these are stories that maybe are, are kind of like fairy tales to us, right? Like we could we could quote this story, we could quote like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, like we know what happens in that, and it's because we've heard them so many times, like right? Like it's, just like it's almost a nursery rhyme to us sometimes. And and what God does in, in the story of God is he goes and he nails down these locations and these places because this is grounded in reality today. This is not some fairy tale or something, you know, like I know we've got little plastic Jesuses maybe in our yard or little ceramic Jesuses on our, on our tables at home, but like this is, this is not some fairy tale or nursery rhyme. This is a story about how God really stepped out of heaven and he came down to earth. And, and God attaches these stories to real places so we can go and we can look. 
He's not afraid of us to investigate the authenticity of the birth of Jesus. He's not, God has never been proved wrong by history. I just want you to know that. Like we, we dig and we dig and we dig and we dig. And what we find out time and time again is God is always correct. And, and he, he attaches these places, Bethlehem, Judea, because he's like, go see. Go see what I did. Go and look what God has done. And so we get Bethlehem, this little town in Judea. He goes on, he says, in the days of King Herod, uh, and it, again, he just attaches him to this historical character. King Herod is King Herod the Great. He was a tetrarch of Judea. He was this, um, this king that was set up by the Roman government. Uh, he was allowed to rule in this area, maybe like we would think of it as like a governor or something. Uh, and then he ruled from 37 BC. Um, they added an extra letter. I'm too old to know what it means. It's BCE now. I don't know what any of that means because I was raised when it was BC and AD and they changed all that. So it's whatever. I was also raised when Pluto was a planet and now apparently it's not. So like, you know, like whatever, it's a different, different time. Um, so, yeah, um, so, um, so, it, you know, like we, we get, we get these different things, but he was, he was, uh, he reigned from 37 BC to like four BC. And some scholars would even say till around one BC. It just depends on who you're listening to. But again, God just attaches it to this person in this time period. And he's like, Hey, you can go and see the authenticity of the birth of Jesus and King Herod, um, the great, I don't know why they call him the great. He was kind of a lousy dude sometimes, but, um, King Herod, the great was this King that ruled over this area that Jesus would have been born into. And I love that the dates are attached because we can see is like Jesus was born somewhere between 37, not that far out and four and maybe even one. And, and really probably towards that earlier half, the four to, to one, somewhere in there of his, of his reign. And we see that um, during that time after Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, that these wise men came from the east. And these wise men, right, like some of us, like you get this picture and they're like these fancy dressed kings with the big crazy hats and the camels. And there's three of them. And like there's no reason we think there are three other than there are three gifts there could have been a thousand there could have been two maybe i mean the men so there's more than one but like there, there could have been any number of these guys and it doesn't matter how many there are but they're not kings actually these wise men uh, we get that word from a word called magi or magus and these magi are these men that are rooted in the religion of, of babylon or persia they're familiar with that and they're also like these sorcerers uh, which is kind of crazy, right? Like they're they're into the whole black magic kind of thing, and they're um, I'm going to say it wrong, and Devin's going to get mad at me. But the astrologers, is Devin here to get mad at me today? Okay, good. I'll call him what I want. Uh, <laughs> so um, astrologers, and, and I'll explain it if I get the word wrong. You can look it up later. But they they would watch the stars in the sky, and they would use that to kind of predict what was coming down the line. They're these men who. Um, are pagans. They're not looking for and believing in Yahweh, this God of Israel. They're, they're sorcerers, which, by the way, is not a thing that's allowed in the Bible. It talks about that. It's wrong. And, and they're astrologers, maybe. Um, and they would look at the stars in the heavens, and they would determine the signs and the times and what was coming down the line. They would predict the future by the stars. Again, not supposed to happen in the, in the Bible. And here they are, smack dab in the in the story of Jesus' birth. Isn't that crazy? 
See, I love the story of Jesus' birth because you would think like, oh, Jesus would be surrounded by these religious priests, these dignitaries, these, these people that make sense, but, but nothing about the birth of Jesus makes sense. Like if we were to plan it out, you're like, this is so weird. Uh, like who would expect that God would choose these, these pagans, these non-religious people, these people that are not his people, these sorcerers, these astrologers to be here in this story? Actually, this is the least likely place in, in our brains that we would find these people, but here they are, the least likely people already. And, and Matthew 2 just way, making their way into the story of Jesus. And, and it's so, so weird, actually. It says that they arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem's the capital city of God, right? This religious place and it's filled with religious people. And in that, in that city was the temple of God and the physical manifestation of the presence of God would be in there over the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the temple. And, and, and here these pagan sorcerer astrologers are rolling up in the middle of this city. And this is not just like a thing that happens all the time. This is not like, oh yeah, they're always just coming into Jerusalem. These magicians are just showing up to do the show today. Like this is not the thing. Like this, this never happens. And it's so weird. It even writes it right there in Matthew 2. Like this is weird. <laughs> Unexpectedly, they, they come into Jerusalem. Like the Bible agrees that this is not the place these guys should be. This is like, can you imagine like here's these religious people and everything they're against these people just are that just came into this city. Like this is not a comfortable place for them. There were not magicians hanging out in Jerusalem. But here these guys come and, and it kind of, they, they come in and it sends the city in uproar because it's like, this is, this is so weird. Why are these guys here? They're not supposed to be here. They're not like us. They're not God's people. They're, they're, they're sinners. They're, they're, they're pagans. They, they, should, they should not be in this story. It says they arrive unexpectedly in Jerusalem and, and they're saying when they come in, if it wasn't bad enough, they were there. They're bringing this message. Who is he who has been born king of the Jews? This is the thing they ride into the city saying, hey, hey, hey uh, who's, who, where's, the, where's the new king? Can you imagine being the people in the city hearing this? Like Herod is the king and, and here these guys come in and like Herod's been the king for like 33 years at least right now probably. And they're coming in, who's the new king? And they're like, oh, there's not a new king. Herod, he's, he's the king, right? Like he's been the king for a while. No, no, no. There's a new king that's been born and, he, and he's king of the Jews. Now what they're asking for, people should recognize. I don't know if they did or not, but hey, where, where's the Messiah? Where's the savior? Where's the one God's been talking about? This, this guy that's going to be born to, to save his people. Where is he at? And these people are just frantic about it. Like, what, what's happening? Why, why are you here? Why do you, you know, like you're not supposed to be here. And you come in and you're spinning this strange tale. It's really strange today. And, and they, they even go, for we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. I don't know about you, but I've never heard of a story where there's just like every time a king is born, there's a new star. I don't know about that. So that's a thing. Maybe you can show me that later. But I've like never heard like every time a king is born, there's a new star. Like this has to be something different about this king. And here are these guys that have come all the way from Babylon or Persia, the, these pagans, these sorcerers, these astrologers who, who, who've got on, you know, whatever ride they were going to take. And they've, they've came all the way to Jerusalem and they get to the city and they're like, hey, I'm looking for the king of the Jews. I'm looking for the Messiah. I was in the east and I saw a star. So I came here. 
Now, what's so crazy about this is like we don't you wonder like how do these guys know like about the Jewish Messiah and the star and like how how do they know all this? Because these are not God's people; these are pagans. These are people that don't follow the Israelite religion. Like how do they get that? And, and we see that the Magi are first mentioned way back in the book of Daniel in chapter two. Daniel is a group of people that have been exiled, right? Because of their sin, the Israelites were exiled over and brought over into Babylon. And Daniel is one of these guys. So, so they, they sin. God pulls them out of the land, except for maybe a remnant. And he pulls them over into Babylon. And when Daniel's there, he, he accumulates some status. Daniel's a man who follows God. He's, he's trying to chase after God in, in this culture. And he's like, I'm not bowing down to your gods. I'm not bowing down to your religion. I've got a God. I know who he is. I don't need yours. And he goes in and, and he, he's put in charge of these people. Him and the other exiles probably that were part of his group were, were kind of brought into these people, these, these magicians, these sorcerers. And it's not even amazing to me that as they come in, Daniel, you're weird, dude. You can do things I've never seen, right? Like, I've, <laughs> how do you think you got that status? The, the king's like, hey, bow down to this. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And you were thrown in a den with lions and they didn't eat you. Like, what is, this? What, is so, what is so weird about you? And he starts telling the story like hundreds of years ago about this God. And these guys hundreds of years ago, they're not still around, but the, the story of Daniel's God has been so impactful on this group of people, even though they're, they're not God's people, they're far from God, they're these magicians, they're, they're astrologers, they, they've hung on to some of these pieces of, of this story of this God. And hundreds of years later now, God has used so many things to bring these people to this moment where they would meet the Messiah. The sin of Israel brought them out into Babylon and God used their sin to bring these sorcerers to the Savior. Isn't that crazy? And here we are, smack dab in the story of Jesus. People that never should have been in the story of Jesus, never should have made it onto Matthew 2 and they ride up into the city and they're like, hey, um, I've heard the story about how God's sending the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And I saw a star. They're uniquely fitted for this, by the way. What do they do? They sit around and study the stars. A new star pops up and they're like, oh my gosh. Do you remember that story? About that star? There's something happening in Jerusalem. Let's go see it. And they roll up into the city of God. And nobody in the city of God, by the way, is looking for the Savior. I don't know how these guys from Babylon saw the star and nobody in Jerusalem did. But let me just let you know, the reason why is because they've quit looking. God's people quit looking for the Savior. Oh, we got the story. So we've heard this before. Oh, yeah, we know this. So, you know, like they didn't quit preaching it. They just quit looking for it. But I'll let you know, when God's people quit looking for a Savior, God will send some unexpected people to look for a Savior. God didn't send Jesus so we could sit here unimpressed. 
So they roll up into the city and they come and they're like, hey, where, where's the Messiah? Where is he at? Where is, we saw a star come from the east. We, we're not supposed to be here, but we're here because, man, we want to see this guy. We've come to do what? We've come to worship him. Maybe you guys are not interested, but I, I need some of this. And it says in three, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Everybody's just freaking out. A, why are you here? B, what are you talking about? It says, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So in four, it says, so he assembled, he being King Herod, assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he asked them, where's the Messiah going to be born? Now, the chief priests are like the religious leaders, probably the Sanhedrin, the the top dogs of the religious people in, in Jerusalem. And the scribes are people that their whole job is to just sit around and write out the Old Testament all the time. So like all they do, can you, can you imagine how well you would know the Old Testament if you went home today and spent the next 30 years just writing it over and over and over and over and over again? Right, like you'd you'd memorize vast quantities of it because all, all you do is sit around just day after day after day. That's your whole job, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna write out Genesis today. Probably got to a place where you didn't really have to look. You're just checking to make sure the punctuation's in the right spot, right? Like this is the dream team of the religious people, and Herod calls them together, and he's like, hey guys, you know the scripture more than anybody else in this place knows the scripture. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Now for us, right? Like anybody, anybody got that verse? You know where it's from? No, because we don't sit around and do this all day long. But they do. And without pausing, right, they're like, I don't have to go study that. I don't have to go look for that. I just have it memorized in my heart. I know where the Messiah is going to be born. By the way, I'm not there. I didn't notice the star. I didn't notice any of the signs. I'm not going to walk the couple miles down the road to go see him. But, but yeah, it's in Bethlehem of Judea, just right over there. You know, closest city to us. It's just right down the road. That's where actually we get all the sheep from there for the sacrifices. It's just right over there. Um, he's in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written by the prophet. They even know like where it's from. and they, they, It's in Micah, by the way. I think it's chapter 5. Um, and it says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the scripture. I think it's Micah 5, 2 or something like that. Look it up later. It's Google. You know, like you don't have to go there and read the whole thing. Just Google it. And they even know the scripture. But here's the weird thing: they know the scripture and they they know the signs, but they're not in in Bethlehem. Just a couple miles down the road, they could go see the Messiah, but they just they're just not interested. We got the stories. We don't need the real thing. And then it says in seven. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them. The exact time the star appeared. So after he's met with these people, (coughs) he knows where Jesus is supposed to be born. He knows where the Messiah is going to be. He goes and he meets with the, the wise men, these, these people that, you know, aren't supposed to be there. And he's like, Hey, I just, I got a question for you. Um, so where, how how long ago did the star pop up? I'm just, just wondering the Messiah's star should herald the birth of the Messiah. And it should have popped up about the time he popped up. Right. Um, so how long, how long ago was that? And why did Herod ask this, right? Because he's trying to figure out how old the kid is so he can go worship him? No. You just read a couple of verses in, what we see is that Herod doesn't want to worship him. The angel warns that he actually wants to kill him. And we know that the star's been around for somewhere around two years because when he can't find him, what he does is he has all the baby boys two years and under in Bethlehem killed. 
Now you're like, that should have made the headlines, that should have made the news, like we should have all read about that. Bethlehem's a small city, it probably was about 14 children at like max. But Herod heard about the Messiah, he knew he was the rightful king, but he was willing to kill the Messiah, this one we've been promised, we've been holding out for for a long, long time. Because the Messiah was a threat to his rule. Got to say today for all of us, we have to decide what we want to do with the Messiah. Because the Messiah will threaten your rule today. You, you can't rule your heart <laughs> and have the Messiah today. See, we all got one throne. We got one, one thing happening in us. We got one seat of power and we get to choose who sits on it today. I can be on the throne. I can be Herod and be like, ah, you know, it's just the savior of the world. I don't really need that guy. Let's kill him. Or I can get out of the way and I can let him sit on that seat. And what we see in this, in this moment is Herod makes up in his heart, like, man, all of history has been pushing towards this moment, but I'm going to do a very selfish thing right now. I'm going to try to kill him so that I can be in power. And what's crazy is Herod has not very much time left at this point in the story. Herod's almost out of time and almost out of power, just like we are almost out of time and almost out of power. And it's foolish of us, whether we're here another eight seconds or 80 years, to try to rule over our hearts when there's somebody who's come to save. Because we don't have much time. And we better do something with it that matters. So Herod says, hey, um, how long ago did that star pop up? And they answered, and we see later on about what that answer was. And it says that in eight, he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so I too can go and worship him. This is what he says. Hey, I'm, I want to worship this guy too. So when you go, I want you to, you to do all the hard work. Uh, you go and you do the legwork. You go and you look for the Messiah. You search Bethlehem high and low, up and down. You, you check every cradle, every crib. And then when you find this kid, I want you to come get me. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to worship him. He wanted these guys to like vet it out, right? Like you, you find the right one and then I'm going to come. And he says he's going to worship him, but he's really not going to worship him. He's going to try to kill him. But it's, you know, a pretty good plan if that's what your plan is. It says in 9, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and I love this, and there it was. The star they'd seen in the east. You love how the Bible writes things sometimes, like they, they just walked out of the city, and it's like, oh, <laughs> that star, I lost you. I didn't know where you were. It just like suddenly just popped back up. Now, this is crazy to me because these guys, like they've spent their whole life studying the stars. They didn't just lose a star. But it writes it like they lost a star, right? So what's happening kind of behind the scenes here is God has put this star over Jerusalem so these men would walk into Jerusalem and they would ask the people, where's the Messiah? And why did he do that? Because none of God's people were looking for the Messiah. Not one of God's people had noticed the star. Not one of God's people was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm looking for this guy. Like nobody was looking for the Messiah. And here are these guys that should have never been in the story. God puts them in the middle of the city of God. And he says, I want you to announce it. I'm going to use you before you even get that I'm using you. I want you guys, the least likely people in the story, to go into the people that are the most likely to get it but just don't get it. And I want you to walk in and I want you to shake it up a little bit because they've got so comfortable in their religion that they just quit actually looking for me. 
And I want you to walk into the middle of the city and I want you to start saying, hey, where's the Messiah Where's the Messiah? I want them to see the desperation in your, in your heart, and I want them to hear it in your voice. I want, I want them to see what it really looks like to seek after the Savior. I want them to know what that is again. So God allows these people to walk in and to announce it to all his people. Hey, there's a Messiah here. What are you guys doing? And then he sends them out, and God turns the GPS back on. They see the star. Not that they lost the star. God did a supernatural thing. It says, and there it was, the star they'd seen in the east. And then it says, and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. I love that. Not like stopped above Bethlehem, but like above the house. Like right there. And it says in 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. When they saw the star had stopped and they realized they had made it to this place and they were about, you know, 50 feet away, probably from the Savior they'd been looking for for a long time. It says they were, what, overjoyed beyond measure. I love it because it doesn't really explain what that looks like, does it? Here's these dignified men that jumped up and down and shouted. doesn't say that. But what I know is overjoyed beyond measure is something that you can see. They were so like falling apart inside. So joyful inside that like you can't even put a, a label on it is what he's saying. There was nobody here that was like, hold on guys. I'm just overjoyed in my heart beyond measure right now. I'm just, I'm excited. Yeah. See, the truth of it is, if we're overjoyed, if we are joyful at all, it's going to come out somewhere. They traveled all this way to see the Savior, and I don't know what happened out in the, out in the yard, but they were having a fit is what I know. We like, like to make fun of people that are having a fit, and maybe people that are having a fit are just really the people that get it. Sometimes we're a little too dignified, right? And I think sometimes it's because we don't really realize where our place is in the story. These guys, I think, knew, like, there's no way. There's no way I should be here. This is not today where I should end up. I I could be a million other places, but here I am just feet away from, from the Savior. And I've heard these stories, and I've been looking for this all my life. And there's been like hundreds of years of people that have missed it. But here I am standing in the yard. And all I got to do is go in the door. And they were having a fit. This is they were overjoyed beyond measure. And then it says an 11 entering the house. Notice what it didn't say. Knocking on the door. Waiting for an answer. I don't know what it looked like, but I'm pretty sure the door didn't even matter at that point in time. Like just straight in the house. It's called breaking and entering. Like this is what happened, but they were just so excited. Like it didn't matter what kind of obstacles or doors were in the way. They were getting in to there. They were so close. It didn't matter what was in the way today. We were getting in to see the Savior. And it says entering the house, they saw what? The child and Mary, his mother. They entered the house, and what did they see? They saw a kid. 
somewhere two down, a kid and his mom. And what's it say? They were disappointed. Oh, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. I don't know what I expected, but this kid's not glowing. <laughs> it doesn't say any of that, does it? What's it say? Entering the house, they saw the child and Mary, his mother, and look, and falling on their knees, they worshiped. you get that? Falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Like, how humbling is that? We got like a two-year-old kid there. Wasn't glowing, wasn't shooting lightning bolts, wasn't animating like birds around the room. Just a two-year-old kid like hanging out with mom. But it didn't really matter, did it? Because they knew, like, this is what I've been looking for. I don't have to see it in the person right now. Like, this is the stories, and there was a star, and God got me here, and I shouldn't be here. And they get here before this kid, and what do they do? They fall on their knees. And what is our excuse? Jesus has already like come. He died on a cross for us. He's made a way for us to, to be with him forever, eternity in heaven. And maybe right now today, we're not seeing that. Maybe right now today, like it's maybe not what we expected. Like if stuff's falling apart, it doesn't look so great for us sometimes. Like everything's weird maybe in some of our lives. And we're like, I don't really know how I got here. But what we've got is more than what they had. They, they got just a little bit of a story and a two-year-old kid. And they're not walking in thinking, man, I traveled hundreds of thousands of miles for this. Man, that was, a, that was a long camel ride for this. Man, I can't believe that I went through all this for this. There's, there's none of that. It's probably not 100% what they were expected. But then they've got less than we got. But it didn't keep them from falling on their knees. So what excuse do we have? And then it says what? They worshipped him. Now, I love that word because I think sometimes we think worship is this. Yeah, anybody can do that. This costs you nothing. This is free. This is just raising your hand. Oh, amazing. I can do both hands. And that may be like a sign of worship or part of worship or some response that we have during worship, but it's free. Get on your knees. That's, That's free. We can all do that. I've faked it before. Have you? Felt nothing, but hey, you know, everybody else is doing it. I've seen people do it at football games and concerts. I've seen people jump up and down at every kind of event. I've seen people weep for no apparent reason. Because none of that costs you anything. And that may be a sign and maybe something that follows worship, but I'm just going to lay it out here today. That is not worship. Worship is a word that means to adore. Worship is a heart thing, and it comes out in our hands, and it comes out in our feet, and it comes out in our voices and our face. If your face isn't doing anything, I don't believe you. Worship in your heart, that's a myth. Um, There's no adoration unless you can see it. And I'm not saying it all looks the same. We're not all clones. We don't all, everybody, hold up your right hand today. Man, if you love something, people know it. You know why? Because it's all you talk about. Some of us spend more time talking about a stupid TV show than we ever do Jesus. 
You can take out TV show, put in whatever else you want. I hear these men show up and they've fallen on their knees and it says they worship him. And I don't know if that means they were bowing before him or they had their hands up or they were <laughs> weeping or shouting or whatever. I got no idea what it looks like. Because you know why? Because he doesn't prescribe like a, you do it all the same way every time for us. It'd be wrong of me to stand up here and say, hey, everybody has to worship the same way. God's creative and he's given us all something to how we express that. But what I do know is every one of those men adored that child. There was something that happened when they walked in the room with that two-year-old and love overtook them. And that love was like a, a visible love. And I think it was this, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. They, they know where they're from. They're from Babylon, Persia. They're, they're from far away from God. They've traveled a long way to get here. They know, like, they, they know enough about these people to know, like, you're not welcome here. You think they got the red carpet rolled out when they walked in Jerusalem? No, they probably got spit at when they walked into Jerusalem. You're not supposed to be here. You're a sinner. You're a pagan. You're not God's people. You're, you're an offense to God. You're, you're ridiculous. Why are you here? You, you're sorcerers. God's not okay with that. You're going to hell. You better change your life, brother. You got no hope. You got no way. You, you're, you're astrologers. You know, you can't do that. I can show you some verses about that if you want to sit down and talk about it. Look, you're not supposed to be here. This is not your story. You're not supposed to be in this story. But here they are in the story. And I think that maybe was what got them. It's just this feeling of, man, I cannot believe that I'm here because I'm not supposed to be here. This is not supposed to mean my God, that I'm not supposed to be his people. I'm a, I'm a sinner, and he's like holy deity in the flesh. Like This is God's son. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And nobody's around here seems to be looking for him, but here I am looking for him. And I was looking, and I walked in, and he didn't push me out. Jerusalem was ready to kick me out the door. The religious people were ready to get me out of the city. But here I am in the living room with Jesus. And he's not trying to push me out. He's trying to bring me in. And I just love this kid. I shouldn't be here. But I'm here. And I love this kid. It says, so they just began to worship him. There's something welled up inside of them and their hearts missing in some of us. Because somewhere we turned into Jerusalem and we're supposed to be here and this is our thing and this is the thing that we do and this is the, and we just missed that like, no, we're not supposed to be here. This is not supposed to be our God. We're not supposed to be his people. We're, we're not supposed to be in the story. But here we are smack dab in the middle of the story by the cross. We're in the story of God today. And when we get back to that place of, I'm not supposed to be here, but here I am. I'm not supposed to be in the room today, but I'm in the room today. And Jesus isn't trying to push me out. I'm sorry if religious people have tried to push you out today. But I want you to know, they don't speak for God. God's people very rarely get it. Because they all think they're supposed to be here. 
None of us are supposed to be here. And when we get that, man, it just wells up something deep in us. There's something that comes up in us. And it's not pride or arrogance. It's just this adoration, an adoration that is visible. And they just begin to worship this God. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. But I know they're worshiping. And they, somewhere along the line, they're like, man, I just whatever, whatever I'm doing right now, it's not enough. Let me go see what I got in the bag. And then they go back and they, they go to the camels or whatever. And they, they're like, man, I got some gold. You want some gold? <laughs> I got some gold. I don't, I don't have gold, but I got frankincense. It's, you know, it smells nice. It, it livened it up in here a little bit. Let's, let's, go, let's go get you some frankincense. I don't, I don't have any frankincense, but I got some myrrh. I got some oil. You can, we can anoint everything in here, man. This is, this is awesome. I, I, got, I got that. Let me, just, I, let me bring you what I got. Let me bring you what I got. That's crazy because these are just normal gifts like you would give a, a king. But I think God's writing the story even in the gifts. Gold is this sign of, of kingship, this, this earthly kingship. And frankincense is, is an aroma. It's like a fragrance and you burn it. It's an incense like he's saying. I mean, this is, this is deity. This is the son of God. And, and what is myrrh? Myrrh is an embalming oil. You, you, you anoint bodies with it. God's saying, yes, this is the king. But he's a different kind of king. This is, this is a God king who what? Came to die to bring people like you into God's space so that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. It says that they leave this place and before they leave... Um, an angel comes in a dream and he, and he warns him. He's like, hey, um, don't, go to, don't go back to Herod. Don't go back to Herod. Herod's trying to stamp this out. Herod's trying to, to kill him. And we're, we're not about that. Um, we got some stuff to do first. I want you to leave and I want you to leave a different way. I want you to leave differently than you came. Now see, that's it, isn't it? It's a sign of coming into contact with Jesus. It's not that we turn a different way when we go out of the parking lot. I usually go left. I'm going to go right today. It's not it. I usually go to Cracker Barrel. I'm going to go to Arby's today. It's not it. But so when we come into the presence of Jesus, it does something in our heart. Something like amazing in our heart. And it causes us to, to leave differently than we walked in the room. That's the measure today. If we met with Jesus, if we walk out the door and we just go back to the same old, same old, we didn't meet with Jesus today. We, we did the thing today. We come in and we sang the songs today and we listen to somebody talk today and maybe we even prayed a prayer today. But man, unless something changes in us, we, we didn't meet with Jesus because Jesus came to change something in us. It's just the reality today. So you're like, well, why did, why, what happened in these guys? It's the same thing that has to happen in us today. We got to come back in and we got to grab a hold of some of that adoration. We got to do more today than I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping. We got to get back to the place today of, you know what? Uh, I, I shouldn't be here. 
This place of wonder and awe and in the presence of the Savior that's just like, man, there's no reason today I should be here. We have to get down today off the high horse, the religious horse, the one that's like, oh, I'm a pretty good guy and I do kind of the right things and I dress kind of the right way and I talk kind of the right way. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a religious person. We got to get down off of that today and realize that God didn't come to make us more religious. He had enough religion. He didn't come to make us better able to like sing the songs today. He didn't come to make it easier for us to wake up and come to church today. He didn't come to make it easier for us to to give some money today or or to give some time today. He didn't come to make it easier for us to, to pray some prayers today and read the Bible today. He didn't come to do that. He came to be God with us. A people that didn't deserve it. A people that have no claim to this God. A people who should not be here. And I just want you to know today, that's the starting place of adoration. That's the starting place of worship today. Is I shouldn't be the people of God, but here I am. Right here in the middle of the story of God. He plucked me out of my little bitty story. And he put me in a great big story. An eternal story. A story that goes beyond my last heartbeat and my last breath. He pulled me out of my pit. And he stuck me in eternity. And he wrote my name down in this book of life. And forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I'm going to be with him. And I don't deserve it. I didn't do one thing to deserve it. I wasn't good enough. I didn't get good enough. I didn't pray good enough. There was nothing impressive about what happened down here when I was 11 years old. There was nothing I could do to like say the right words. I didn't even know the right words. (coughs) There's nothing impressive about how I live my life. I can't, I can't impress a holy God with how good I think I am. Oh, great. You didn't cuss too much this week. Must be impressive. Oh, great. You prayed like 17 seconds this week. He must be impressed. Oh, great. You opened the Bible app and read the verse of the day. I bet God is just so pleased with how great you are. There's nothing we can do to be impressive to him. He's the impressive one today. And when we get back to that place of, I shouldn't be here. It's only by Jesus that I'm here. It's only by the cross. It's only by the love and the mercy and the grace of this God that I can even breathe today. And he knows that. I'm not tricking him. But he's still standing there looking at me in the reality of the filth that I am and in the best mustering up of the righteousness that I have, which is nothing. And he's saying, come on in. Come on in. I'm not pushing you out today. Man, you are a screw up, but I'm not pushing you out today. Man, you're not impressive, but I'm not pushing you out today. I want you. I want you. You know, you just feel it just beating in, in you. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man, I shouldn't be here, but I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. And you're right here. And you love me. And I love you. And maybe every day is not what I think it should be. And maybe every moment is not like perfect. And maybe at home, like stuff's falling apart and my life's falling apart. But man, I just love you. 
My world is broken, but I love you. And I know you love me. I don't have it all together today, but man, I just love you. And I know you love me. I'm a sinner. I've screwed it up, but you love me. And I love you. And I shouldn't be here, but man, just praise you. It's that place. It's that place. It's that place. Oh man, it's that place. That's what we're looking for today. And that's what God's inviting us into today.